welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 34 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And um, it's very surreal that I'm getting to say that my guest this week is Mr. Frank Turner. Um, I'm a huge fan of Frank's music and I have been for some time, probably as long as he's been making it. Um, I've got all his albums. I've seen him live. His his music has soundtracked some of my favourite memories. You know, some really, really happy times in my life have got Frank Turner's songs connected to them. So on a personal level, it was a real moment um, to sit down and chat to him. He came about really, really quickly. We actually, I swapped emails with Frank months ago and um, he put me in touch with someone at his record label and then it went very quiet for a long time and I kind of forgot all about it. And I, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I took my shot. At least I get to say I swapped emails with Frank Turner. And then out of nowhere, an email dropped in and it was his record label. And they had a date and a time and it all came together really, really quickly, which was great because I think I would have been quite nervous if I'd have had too long to, to think about it. Um, but it was a real pleasure. Um, on a professional level, it's a fantastic conversation. Frank's been an advocate for mental health for as long as I've been listening to his music, for sure. He's uh, written some things for Calm. He's been involved with them. He's written some articles back in the day for The Big Issue. Um, and he's always been very open about his own journey as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a great conversation. We talk about mental health in the music industry. We talk about maintaining good mental health when on tour. We talk about the process of writing and exploring these issues and, you know, singing and writing and how that affects, how creativity affects it. Um, yeah, it's a really good conversation. Frank's very open about his own struggles, particularly with substance abuse. And we chat a bit about CBT therapy, which is what Frank used to um, kind of get himself um, get himself back to where he needed to be. And um, yeah, like I say, Frank's been exploring this stuff for a long time and he's got really interesting insights. And he actually brings up a few things around mental health that I'd not thought of myself and that I'd not discussed on episodes of other people. So that was fantastic as well. Um, I'm talking as if absolutely everybody listens to Frank Turner, which I'm sure is the case. But if you don't, um, Frank started off in a like a hardcore punk outfit called Million Dead. And I think they did a couple of albums. And then when that stopped, he went solo and um, he kind of moved directions and he picked up an acoustic guitar and started doing things quite differently which was brave because we know about the, the punk and hardcore scene and how sort of territorial they are, you know. Um, and yeah, he, he kind of rebuilt and he did a lot of tours where he just went around on his own on a train with a guitar and a laptop and after gigs would ask people if he could stay on their settees. Um, and he toured around a long time for that. And then he, yeah, his album started selling and he got bigger and bigger and now he's played Wembley and he sells out stadiums and it's just fantastic, really. His journey is a really, really interesting story. And it's the first person I've spoke to anyway where I don't really have to tell you how to find them on social media or um, find his website or anything like that. Because if you type his name into Google, um, yeah, everything will just come straight up. I would re recommend um, buying his records and I'd highly recommend seeing him live. He's always touring. Um, currently he's done 
2,543 shows because there's a list that's on his website where he keeps track of them all. Um, and I'd highly recommend because him and his band are so, so good. Um, if you'd like to connect with me about the podcast or anything else, it's at Proper Mental Podcast on all social media platforms. You can go to my website, www.propermentalpodcast.com and you can email me through there and there's a few bits on there about other things that I'm up to and um, the story behind the podcast and all that sort of stuff. Um, that is everything you need to know. I would love it if you could leave me a review for this one and I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. Um, and that is it. Yeah, so here we go. Episode 34 of the Proper Mental Podcast. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest today is Mr. Frank Turner. How are you, mate? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thanks for asking. How are you? I'm very well. Yeah, very well indeed. Um, the first thing I want to, to chat to you about, Frank, because it's kind of current, it's going on right now, but you've been able to go back to work, mate. You're back on stage. <laughs> um, that must, I mean, can you even kind of put into words at this stage how that feels? <laughs> um, it, I mean, strange and wonderful and scary and many, many, many other adjectives as well. Um you know, I try in life to avoid special pleading because um, I don't think that I'm any more interesting or less interesting than anybody else. But nevertheless, the last year has been particularly hard for those people whose business model and whose job revolves around gathering people together in confined spaces, which is what I do in the normal run of things. So it's been pretty rough. Um, and, you know, it's been quite easy to have days where you just want to kind of scream at somebody and batter on a door and shout, let me just have my life back. And then uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, there it was. I mean, you know, there was there was still a fair amount of tension and difficulty around the shows. The government in their um, wisdom <clears throat> have uh, decided to uh, just put all the responsibility on us once again. Um, you know, so there was a lot of kind of weirdness around the shows, particularly the first one, which is the Clapham Grand. But the minute that the doors opened, uh, that all kind of evaporated and it was magic beyond description. I guess the word I would choose to describe it would be pure. There's something felt just incredibly pure about it. It was just great. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to have been able to be part of it. And, and hopefully that is the beginning of more going forward. Yeah, definitely. There's something so human, isn't there, about that level of connection and coming together and sharing that space and all that sort of stuff. And we've really like, it's easy with the pandemic to focus on on the health staff and, you know, but that that humanness, that coming together, that's something that's really, really affected people, I think. I think so. And I mean, I think that we're social animals and um, and I rejoice in that. I mean, I, I arguably try and make a living out of that, you know, so um, and I think that I mean, it's funny you mentioned health because obviously there is a headline health issue going on at the moment, which is pandemic. And, and of course, it's important to say that I'm in no way kind of dismissing that or belittling that or wanting to make it worse or anything else. But like um, there's also there are other types of health. Do you know what I mean? And like. And, it, and I'm not just talking about me being sad because I wasn't allowed to do my job. I mean, the sense of um, release and, and kind of importance, I want to say, among the crowd of the fact that we were able to kind of re-engage with each other as humans again um, in a very specific way was really moving. And um, 
I think this is an unoriginal observation, but there's definitely a, a, a trend in, in human affairs for a kind of religious impulse for one of a less loaded term. And historically, people have tended to use religion for that, hence the term. But I mean, nowadays, some people have religion, some people have sport, some people have um, what, you know, live action role playing, I don't know. But for me, it's it's music. And it, it scratches an itch, it um, touches a part of me, both as a performer and as a punter that that really needs some love from time to time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love the almost like the religious imagery, the comparison there. Like I couldn't really tell you what a soul was, but when I'm at a gig, that's probably the closest I can kind of get, <laughs> get a bit of an idea of, right? Yeah. And the, the, something I was really interested in as well, I've seen you live many times, mate, and the, your shows are high energy. You guys bring it. Have you had to find an outlet for that energy over the last 18 months? Like, have you had to start running or, you know, to like uh, get it out? I mean, I have been running, funnily enough, but um, uh, I ran the Grand Canyon on, on an app. Oh, cool. um, which the problem with that, incidentally, just this is a brief side, is that my, I'm definitely somebody I work towards deadlines, you know what I mean, or targets or whatever. That's how I function in life. And it was all well and good running to complete the Grand Canyon in a certain time period. And I did and I got very fit. And then I finished it and I haven't run an inch since then because I've <laughs> ticked it off my to-do list. Um, uh, I mean, part of that, in all honesty, was trying to get in shape for when shows come again. Because, I mean, I know from experience if in previous in years gone by if i've taken three weeks off for christmas and then you hit the first show in january without having done anything in those three weeks the first gig is a nightmare because you're sort of lugging your christmas weight around the stage and sort of weeping um and it's really quite i mean to play a good show and in in, in 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 particularly on a larger stage is, is pretty physical you've got to run around and you've singing is a very very physical activity but you've got to sing at them and then you've got to sing at them and then you've got to make sure that you're talking to them and do you know what i mean and there's there's it you cover a lot of ground i mean was i to wear a fitbit at a show i suspect it would be impressive um so um yeah i mean i i i, I do think about staying in shape generally speaking in terms of energy and that kind of thing i mean like everybody else i mean lockdown hobbies has been a uh a depressingly looming part of my life and i haven't yet baked any sourdough you'll be relieved to hear but um i did learn to cook a little bit which i never really did because i started touring, touring when i was 16 years old um so i can now cook like three things which is three more than i could before so um make that's a win yeah, yeah that's right, a win right. we'll take I that mean, yeah, my major thing is that I learned how to be a, a mix engineer and a producer. Um, I'm actually sitting in my new, newly constructed studio as we oh, speak. Oh, sick. Um, and uh, I'm indeed mixing a record for another band right now. And, um, you know, which was an attempt largely by me to find a way of making a living in music that didn't involve touring. Not that I'm planning on stopping if I can avoid it, but nevertheless, it seemed like the sensible thing to do. Um, and it also turns out to be something that I absolutely adore doing. I love it. I love combing through songs to find the soul of them and and, and 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 like i do that all the time anyway as a writer but as a as a sonic engineer with other people's stuff i find that very interesting and very satisfying yeah sure i suppose you can um express your creativity in a different way right it's just a different yeah. way of, of and also i mean if this isn't a pretentious thing to say there's, there's a degree of paying it forward in there in the sense that like I was quite surprised. I sort of took the view that I was starting from zero in terms of learning how to do this. But that's, of course, that's not true because a huge part of it is how to listen and how to arrange and how to kind of manage a group of musicians working in the studio. And I've been doing that for decades. And, um, you know, when you work with a younger band and you sort of say things, well, why don't we double this guitar part? And they go, what? And you go, 
yeah and then you pan them left and right and then it sounds bigger and they go oh my goodness <laughs> and it's like everybody does this um and you know it's just kind of it's quite satisfying helping people kind of realize their artistic vision do you know what i mean and and bringing some experience to the table and saying well you could try this and then it sounds better than they thought it was going to sound and it's it's yeah it's a cool feeling yeah definitely i think in any walk of life if you know sometimes we all starting out on whatever path we are if we could have had some sort of guidance experience guidance at the start it can make yeah. it make a yeah. huge difference yeah and and we're gonna have a little chat about um mental health frank because it is something that's you're associated with and you have been for a long time and um, I know like back in the day, you've done some work with Calm and all that sort of stuff. Um, how did it come about that you started talking about, about these things? Was it something you set out to do? Was it an opportunity that presented itself? Um, it was more an opportunity that presented itself. There's there's a there's a salutary lesson coming up, so brace yourself. Um, like, you know, I, I have um, family members who've had issues with mental health um, and friends and this kind of thing. So it's obviously something I've sort of been aware of as an issue that's worth addressing and to the extent that I thought about it in any analytical terms in the olden days you know the old adage about how mental health is just another form of health and it should be the same as discussing your mental health should be the same as discussing your fitness or your whether or not you've hurt your knee or whatever do you know what I mean it's like that there's a weird stigma around it and it would benefit us all if we could work towards just dispelling that which incidentally I think we are doing I mean it's not to say that we're there but it's certainly if I look at how people talk about mental health now versus when I started in just in the music industry I mean it's like unbelievably different in in a positive way but yeah so I and, and I think initially somebody approached me and asked if I'd be interested in in um using my platform to to forward uh their cause or the, the the cause in question and and i said yes because i try and to the extent that anybody's foolish enough to pay attention to what i have to say about anything i might as well try and use that to to, to um forward something uh at least occasionally something more interesting than i have a new album out um so you know so i, I started talking about it um and um i got quite good at you know this is going somewhere. I got quite good at kind of like learning my lines, you know, and saying the things that you're supposed to say about how, um, uh, you know, the, the hardest part is the first conversation and about how, you, you know, sharing a problem is is vitally important. And there are trained professionals who do this and who can help you and all this sort of thing. And whilst all this was going on, I was actually cooking up some mental health problems of my own about which I was privately being just as kind of reticent and for want of a better term, male, as, as any of the people that I was sort of hypothetically criticizing. Um, so I wasn't talking to anyone about it, and I wasn't doing anything about it, and I was pushing it away, and I was pushing it down. Um, and this chief um, symptom was substance abuse. I had a major substance abuse issue for a long time, although, of course, as with most people with substance abuse issues, that was a symptom rather than a cause. Um, and I didn't really talk to anyone about it, and I didn't share, and I didn't go to any kind of rehab or any kind of therapy. Um, and I think that for a long time, I operated on the principle that music was therapy enough for me. And that if I was having a rough time, I would just listen to The Clash again, or Aretha Franklin again, or whatever it might be. And then that would solve my problems. And um, I had a series of kind of revelatory moments, many of which are linked with my now wife, who I'd met at the time and who took one look at me and went, Jesus Christ, um, and uh, um, and who is also a trainee counselling psychologist right now? She's doing her doctorate, so is well versed in in the world of mental health. And um, 
so there were a couple of things. I mean, recognizing that I had a problem uh, was the was of course the first step, as it always is. That's the cliche, but it's true. Um, and then, kind of, I think one of the big understandings for me was the understanding that whilst music may be a necessary component of my mental um, health toolkit, it's not sufficient in and of itself, um, and that actually I could benefit from some professional help. And then there was, I don't, I'm just. I don't know if pride is exactly the right word, but like, I'm mean, pride was certainly a component of it. I was raised in quite a stiff upper lip family where you don't talk about your problems. Then I got into Henry Rollins style hardcore punk where you don't talk about your problems. Um, and I just wasn't really kind of like culturally predisposed to talk about my feelings. And it was also ironic. And I was sort of dimly becoming aware that it was ironic given all of the things I'd been saying in public about mental health on behalf of mental health charities up to this point. And there was this moment when I really had to like suck it up and take some of my own advice. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and so I did. And, um, and I'm very glad that I did. And that started a, a, a long and, and sort of ongoing process of, of taking care of my mental health and my central, um, Engagement with that has been CBT, um, which is something that I had I'd never heard of um, prior prior to my first CBT session. Um, interestingly, my wife um, sought me out a therapist for me because she's aware that I'm a little bit of a kind of um, I'm kind of an intellectual combatant, uh, and she was like, she said to me since she didn't say this at the time obviously, but she spent some time trying to locate a therapist for me who she knew could take me in an argument um and uh, um because i would probably get argumentative um and i'm not sure i actually did in the event but it was a wise thing for her to do anyway i figured it, I, I i got involved in cbt and it's made a, an unbelievable difference to my life and I'm i'm very grateful for it Oh, fantastic. I kind of think about, um, I was thinking a little bit about like uh, the rock and roll lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. And if you were to like Google um, good things for mental health, you'd get a list of stuff that wouldn't be that surprising, stuff like sleep and food and stressful situations. And I would imagine that most things on that list would be very hard to maintain on tour. And, you know, was that lifestyle a factor at all for you, Frank? Um yes and no i mean this is a subject about which i'm slightly conflicted still in the sense that like life on tour is not normal but then what the hell is normal um and uh it can be pretty intense and all that kind of thing but that's kind of why i love it and i firmly maintain that it's possible to live that it's possible to live a mentally healthy life in the context of touring. It may not be for everybody because, and, and I don't, this is the problem. I don't want that to sound like a bravado statement. Oh, you can't hack it or whatever. But like, ultimately, some people are comfortable living out of suitcase and some people aren't. Um, and that's just a preference thing. And, and there should be no judgment around that. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to do that or indeed with wanting to do it. Um, but I love life on the road more than I could ever express. But there are difficulties particularly for mental health out on the road, but they're not they're not like a necessary part of the picture if you actually stop and examine it. I think that's the thing that I've kind of managed to figure out. I mean, you know, I've spent my, I started, started touring when I was 16. I spent my entire adult life in an environment where you get booze much more easily than you get food. And if you drink it all, someone will give you more. Um, and uh, if you want drugs, you just have to ask the sound guy. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not hard. It's, it's pretty easy. Um, and uh you know so there's all of that kind of thing um 
not massive sleep if and if well you can live a sleepless life if you want to um eating healthy on the road is a challenge again it's doable but it took took me some years to figure it out um i mean i do also think that specifically with regards to what i do there's something very intense about the amount of kind of scrutiny that i put myself under voluntarily and i'm not necessarily talking about trying to be a public figure per se but like necessarily what i do is i make art and I put it into the world and it's judged in real time by hundreds of thousands of strangers. And that can be really, really hard. Um, and indeed, social media is a whole separate topic, which we should come back to in a minute. But so there's all this stuff that, yes, there's, there's a huge number of kind of potential pitfalls. But at the same time, it's entirely possible to go on tour and just do your job and um, and go to sleep after the show. You don't have to drink a bottle of tequila every night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, sure. And in fact, you know, I mean, in some ways, this is a benefit of me having reached a level of success where touring is more comfortable than it used to be. Um, and I'm privileged to have that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it is entirely possible to live a pretty wholesome life on tour, actually, because you can, for example, my guitar player, Ben, who's five years older than me, and he was doing this even when I was having my issues. Um, he, he gets up early and he always figures out the public transport system in the city that we're in and he gets on the bus or the tube or whatever and he goes to see the sites and he takes photos and he writes a journal and, you know, and it's really, really kind of wholesome. Um, you know, and, and many times we'd be playing, I remember playing a show like in Innsbruck and I'd missed him leaving the bus in the morning and then he sort of came hiking back down a trail and he just hiked 15 miles or something. These things are possible to do within the context of a working day when you're on tour. Um, so, you know, it's 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 not that tour is uh, or the the world of tour is is necessarily difficult to be healthy in. It's I guess probably more challenging. You have to think about it a bit more, but it is also it's my it's my home, it's my culture. I'm not going to let it go, do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I suppose like if, you know, when we um admit that we've got stuff to sort out and we work to sort it all out, then you can structure things differently. I suppose yeah. like if you've got something going on, tours are a really good place to distract yourself from that and not have to deal with it once you've dealt yeah. with it you can do things yeah. differently yeah i mean that is true i mean there is a degree to which tour tour conceptually is one long flight from reality <laughs> um, uh, i mean unless you do it long enough that it becomes reality which was always my plan um but uh yeah it's 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 probably one of the harder places to make all these things add up i guess what what i would say and this is a thing that i've kind of vaguely started trying to do if if i can figure out a way of doing it that isn't like achingly pretentious but like when i think back to my early years on tour the one thing i noticed that there were just no adults in the room i remember in the early days touring if someone was 30 they were just like a hilarious dinosaur um and what it also meant is that there was no one to kind of come around and go you don't have to get pissed tonight do you know what i mean you could also go to bed um and it would have been useful if there had been you know what i mean and someone to go try eat a salad do you know what i mean just just eat a salad just every now and again. Um, and, you know, just to have someone kind of like who... And the thing is, it, I don't think in the context of the world that is rock and roll, it can really function for that to be like a a therapist or something like that. I don't think that that's quite how that, that world's going to work. But somebody who has kind of miles under their belt who's done it before, on the other hand, might be able to kind of have that conversation with people. Yeah, sure. Um, and And to kind of be a voice of experience, if nothing else. 
yeah i suppose we'll always do things the same way unless someone shows you a different way to do it and that's yeah kind of, you know completely and i just sort of like i mean in some of my learning moments in my life i remember the first time we talked with the dropkick murphys who had become dear friends of ours over the years but al their singer um has a yoga room backstage and i remember being a bit like eh when i first encountered that and he takes hours of his day to go and do yoga every day. And he's like, it keeps me grounded, keeps me level. And he was also like, and it stops everything hurting every time I do a show. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, but then that's quite an interesting parallel there, though, because like, as I was saying earlier about mental health and physical health should be a certain, held in similar regard. Like one of the, the only thing I ever really learned to take care of right from the word go on tour was my voice, because if I have no voice, then there's no show. And I got quite good at that. And some of the kind of discipline that came with that has been quite useful for me in terms of how I kind of process other parts of my existence yeah sure yeah like you said that discipline and um different i suppose having different tools for different situations but you can apply them yeah apply them apply them yeah. differently and then what about like i'm really always really interested with um musicians and stuff with a creative process you know you write about some like life stuff frank do you know what i mean that that's out there but then you have to then go and sing about that stuff in front of lots of people and once you put something out that becomes theirs almost you know that should do yeah, it absolutely should do. If it if it isn't, then you're doing it wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, but this is a. Th I think that this is a. From in my personal experience, this is this is something of a misconception. Like, in a way that doesn't detract from the art. I'm not living through every experience that I write about every time I sing it, because otherwise I'd never make it through a show. Do you know what I mean? Like it'd just be a nightmare. Um, there is what I do when I'm on stage. I'm a performer. I'm a professional entertainer, and I'm proud of those things, and I want to be those things. Um, I love the fact that I'm able to include some more profound statements and thoughts and considerations within my art. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but uh, but ultimately, you know, I'm putting on a show. Um, and in a way, the kind of the intense feeling part happens in the writing process. Um, that's not to say that there aren't nights when a song will land with me as much as it might be landing with someone in the audience, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. Where where suddenly it's just like you start thinking about what you're writing about and it might affect you more than it would usually. But you have to have every single performer in the world has a methodology by which they are able to perform and deliver their art in a way that doesn't necessarily involve 100% engagement with the subject matter. I mean, if they didn't, nobody would be able to sing the, sing the song I Can't Live If Living Without You. That's the first line. Do you know what I mean? <coughs> it's just... You're talking about an incredibly profound thing. So and but there's nothing there's nothing unsats about that. There's nothing that detracts from the art in that statement. It's just how it is. Yeah, sure. And I suppose like you could write something about <laughs> one one thing and then once that record's out, someone listens to it. And that they could take take the feeling and apply that to a completely different situation, <laughs> well, right? So once it's out, it's out. And it's wonderful when they do, and that actually that brings up the other thing I was I, I wanted to say, which is that like actually the act of standing on a stage and singing back a song that you wrote about a profound or in particular a difficult moment in your life and having it connect with an audience of strangers in a way that's really visible and more of audible is balm for the soul you know um for me to stand up and sing a song about a friend of mine who passed away and have a room full of people singing back is something else the only problem with it is is that it's not a kind of you that can't be your daily medicine do you know what i mean otherwise you never ever stop touring and there's something slightly kind of like one-dimensional about, about you after a while if the only way i can get through the day is if a thousand people sing along with my songs really um uh but it's certainly like i mean it is hugely um moving and comforting 
and even just to talk to people after shows and people say hey that song helped me through this or whatever it's 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 humbling in a way that's really useful and i do feel sorry i'm jumping around topic wise here but like that incidentally brings up i think one of the most useful things i've learned about mental health is humility um some of the most useful things you can do for your mental health is to focus on other people for a bit um whether that be volunteering or or indeed get a dog good lord like you know a, a very very dear friend of mine who is uh, a well-known musician who has very severe mental health problems who shall remain nameless the the absolute change in his life has been getting a dog because suddenly there's a creature who doesn't care what you're going through creatively or artistically right now he needs to shit and eat and run around and all the rest of it and it takes you out of your own kind of vortex you know what i mean and and um you know and i, and I find that like um we do live in a culture in which there's a there's a large stress on kind of um navel gazing for one of a less polite term and i often feel like a really useful thing for people to do is to try and get away from that for a little bit and focus on other people and other things and and that can be yeah that's that's a thing that i've learned and i think of this because there are days when it's like well i wrote this song about this and then somebody else says well i take it to be about this and there's something quite sort of undercutting about that but in a way that personally i find to be really really useful uh, um I mean, it's it's still you're still being paid a compliment ultimately, but um, you know, it just takes you down a peg or two, and I think we could all use that from time to time. Yeah, definitely. I love the idea of applying humility to um, to mental health and stuff like that. You know, yeah, it can. Uh, I could see why that'd be really useful. I found with the own stuff that happened to me that I went through is that it made me really selfish. It made me all about me. And then, right. you know, like I could turn any situation into into a way to punish myself for it. But it was still all about me, even though. <laughs> but it, but you know? Exactly, exactly. And like, you know, obviously, um, I mean, we, one must self-care is really important and, and all these kinds of things. But yeah, the realization that other it, and it's not as simple as the old <coughs> canard about like, well, you know, other people in Africa have it worse or whatever, um, which is true. Of course, it's true. Um, that doesn't matter. Tragedy is a, per a personal measurement scale. Um, but uh, nevertheless, a bit of kind of realization, not not just that other things are going on outside of yourself, but also that you could help. Do you know what I mean? That is the thing I find really useful. Like, what, I mean, I've spent a lot of the last year doing fundraising for music venues and i did that partly because it seemed like the right thing to do and partly because i needed something to do with my life uh, whilst locked down and all the rest of it but i mean within that second statement is something more profound it really helped me to be busy doing something that was outwardly focused do you see what i mean that yes. wasn't sitting at home thinking well my life is ruined what am i going to do and i spent days doing that good lord and to actually have a purpose and a goal that was about helping other people was very useful for my mental health. This is a circuitous way of saying that I also benefited from doing those shows, do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, um, and that's important to say, but um, yeah, so a little bit of kind of external focus, I think can be, can go a long way. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of compassion, you know, and learning to show compassion to yourself and compassion for other people and compassion for strangers. And I think if everyone in the world had just a little bit more compassion, we could probably change it you know <laughs> yeah well true i mean I th one of the things i find so often over and over again is that my friends who really struggle with mental health tend to be generally tend to be some of the kinder and more considerate of my friends um, and it's always that thing where they're like i want to say to them imagine if the, the way you're treating yourself right now 
if it was somebody else going through it, you would be you would be a diamond. You'd be lovely. You'd be telling them it was all fine. And the only person in the world that you won't extend that kind of compassion towards is yourself. And I think that that's an that's a, certainly a thing I notice a lot. And, I, and I'm arguably guilty of it myself. I mean, I try and be as forgiving as I can with my friends. I'm sure I could do better. But um, uh, you know, there are days I'm, I'm I, like many people. I'm an Olympic class champion at beating myself up about things. And then you think, well, if this was somebody else telling me this story, I'd be like, no, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. You know, do you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. And you just the only person you don't give give any kind of leeway to is yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's quite a human trait almost, isn't it, too? And something negative happens and we just stay on that point forever. And then oh. if something good happens, you just skip past it and go, oh, yeah, that was nice and just carry on, right? Like Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that incidentally brings us on to, I mean, just briefly, I mentioned social media earlier. I mean, in terms of being a musician, social media is an absolute nightmare. I suspect it's a nightmare for everybody, but from where I'm standing, it is the worst thing that has happened to the world in some time. Um, for many, many reasons, I think of it now, like you're saying, I'd, if you are foolish enough to like check your mentions as a successful artist, which incidentally you should never, ever do. But if you do, you can have 55 people in a row tell you that you're a genius and that you're wonderful and they want to marry you and that everything you do is perfect. And then there's one person who calls you an asshole. And you'll think about that last person for a month. Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm not exaggerating. Um, and uh, And you'll ignore all the rest of it. And it, that's just something very human in that. Um, but it's just it's a disaster because it sort of it takes away the social cues and the way that people interact with each other. When you have a conversation with somebody, you read them and you consider them as a as a human, as a separate entity. And people don't do that in 140 characters typing at, furiously at an, at an at sign or whatever. Um, and, you know, it gives you this idea that you could listen into every conversation in the entire world happening about you. And that's, first of all, an illusion and secondly a completely and utterly insane idea why would you want to do that um and uh yeah i a lot of people i know who work in the music industry or who do what i do for a living have really suffered thanks to social media um i have and it's taken me a long time to learn how to deal with it and i'm interested to see that nowadays a lot of the major labels have started bringing in people who teach because particularly if you've got a younger band like a bunch of 19 year old kids or whatever get signed and get very famous the majors now have people in place who will try and teach them how to deal with social media. And I think that's great. And I think it's really necessary because, I mean, you could drive yourself completely insane in a very short period of time and using nothing but your phone to look at Twitter. Yeah, definitely. It's such a weird space. It's such a weird creation. And I think in some ways it, it doesn't say very nice things about us as humans, because when social media just exploded, there was no instructions like we've decided how we're going to use it. And we're yeah. not using it in a very nice, <laughs> in a nice way. No, I all. know what you mean, but I guess, what, I mean, if you'll forgive my, my incorrigible optimism, I guess what I would say was that like what we didn't realize was that it was kind of and probably not by design. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it was it was calibrated to bring out the worst in us. Um, and I think you know Solzhenitsyn pointed out that good and evil, the line between good and evil, runs through every human heart. And I think all of us have a tendency to be good and a tendency to be bad. And for whatever reason, social media, in particular Twitter, just brings out everybody's shitty side. Um, and it does it kind of relentlessly. And um, there are other formats that don't do that. Um, and, you know, it's a shame that we had to learn the hard way that this one wasn't a good idea. But like, if somebody shut all that stuff down, I wouldn't miss it. No, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there, mate. Yeah. And it just, you know, as we're wrapping up here, mate, you mentioned um, optimism there. Um, so many of your songs I've noticed are about overcoming, getting back up, 
carrying on is that kind of like a, a are you an optimistic person are you um i'm not as much as my songs would make out <laughs> and this is a thing that i've a conversation i've had a couple of times but like the the um i mean first of all i'm very very wary of message songs and of the idea of songs pointing a finger and telling people to do this or that or the other i i i'm just kind of like i'm not at all sure that i'm confident enough to pull that off convincingly um it seems it seems very bold <laughs> to be blunt um uh but if it ever sounds like my songs are pointing a finger or telling anybody to do anything it's generally speaking myself that i'm talking to before anybody else um because i dwell on my own shortcomings and failings a lot and so there's that a lot of it's me pep talking myself and but also then within that i mean i learned a long time ago that if i write a song that it, that lands with people i'm going to sing it every day for a long time so I'll write a song about a negative situation, let's say, but I want to try and find some sort of like way out of it at the end because I have to repeat it to, to myself and to an audience day in, day out for, for years on end. Um, and, you know, not every song I write has a optimistic sting in the tail or whatever. Uh, um, a lot of them do, though, um, because I think that I would find it difficult to go out and perform on a stage and just say everything's awful, the end day after day i mean many things are awful life is a difficult proposition um but there are reasons to get up in the morning and reasons to keep going and to remind myself of those is quite a powerful function of my music for me um so but the end result of all of this is that a lot of people think that i'm just this like wild optimist and that's not necessarily true yeah. and it's um it's really um easy I suppose to say when we talk about talking about mental health, it's really, really easy to get people to say like speak up and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And um, we never talk about how hard it is to actually do that. Is it easier to sing about stuff or is it than it is to talk uh, about stuff? Yeah, de definitely. But I mean, and that's partly because I, my taste in music runs to the confessional and, and um, since I was a kid, like millions of other people, art was my outlet and my expression, my creative expression and all the rest of it. And to actually then, talk about it afterwards is a skill that I've learned over the years. I guess what I would, I mean, and by way of possibly a, a, a finishing thought, but like, but a, but a medium length one. Um, <laughs> I, I had an interesting moment a few years ago. I've always tried to be um, cautious and um, humble about my claims for what I do for a living. I don't think that people, that guys with guitars change the world very often, if ever. I don't think that what I do is important, as important as being a doctor or a teacher or anything like that. I, I love what I do, don't get me wrong, but like if I stopped doing it tomorrow, the world would continue to turn on its axis. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't want to be too pretentious, I guess, because part of this reactive to that sort of cl classic cliche of the musician who thinks that what they do is earth shatteringly important. And they're always wrong because it just oh, get over yourself. And, I, and I'm just sort of at pains not to be that. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about music changing the world and all this kind of thing having said that um i uh attended a talk by stephen fry a few years ago and stephen fry is a great man and he talked about the struggle for gay rights in the sort of 1970s and particularly the 1980s and about how people from the creative arts in particular pop music sort of led the way conversationally you know um freddie mercury was gay and 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 george michael was gay and elton john is gay and and the more that they spoke openly about these things, the more it kind of helped kind of start to chip away 
at broader social attitudes and opinions. And so he was talking very, uh, very movingly and very knowledgeably because he was there and he was one of these people um, uh, about the way that the creative arts can kind of like be canaries, as it were, for changes in social attitude. And, and that really pulled me up on my kind of eternal kind of frumpiness and pessimism about the value of what I do for a living. And, and it kind of re-energized me to keep talking about mental health in a public forum because I don't think that I'm going to change the world by doing it. But if more people like me cumulatively do it, then at some point the broader societal conversation can be shifted. And that seems like a worthwhile use of my time. Definitely. The more relatable we can make the conversation, the more people will feel like, yeah. like they can have it. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, that's awesome. That's a great point to sign off there, mate. I really, really appreciate it. I want to wish you all the best for all the, the gigs over the summer and stuff Thank like you. that. And um, yes, yeah, supporting the County Crows in October. I saw Oh, oh yeah. mate, what a band. That's incredible. No, it, don't get me started. We'll, <laughs> we'll be here all day. Um, thank you so much for your time, man. It's an, it's an honor to be on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. proper mental podcast please like and subscribe the space star